This week's episode is a bit different as we dive into the archives. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Foozled It, the podcast all about owning things that mess up and not worrying about blunders. We're your hosts, Rebecca Porter and Charlotte Gordon. How's it going? Oh, I mean, it's okay. I had a foozle last week uh, where I lost my debit card. Oh, no. For my joint account with my partner. Oh, dear. The worst, the worst part was I, so I like put it in, I went for a jog like two weeks ago. This isn't a frequent thing. Um, and I put it in like the back pocket of my like running pants. So then I could stop off at the grocery store on my way home and like pick up some stuff. Um, and so like, I knew it was in the house somewhere. I just wasn't really sure where. And I went and I looked in the, um, I did look in like my, my jogging shorts, which I had like put in the laundry bin. Couldn't find them there. The pocket was undone. I was like, Oh, I must've taken it out and just put it somewhere really stupid. So I decided just like, it's fine cancel that card, get a new one, like not worth worrying about it. And then I did laundry. Oh, it went in the, it went in the, I was going to say the tub, but I don't think you're, you're not an old washerwoman. I'm not that old. (laughs) um, Oh no. And and did it all get fried and and eaten up? And so it was, I was kind of disappointed because it was just like a bit curved from spinning around. Um, But, but it was, it was mostly annoying because like, Maybe I could have still used it. I didn't have to do this palava of like sitting on the phone with somebody at the bank. Not that it's a difficult I, person, it's um, annoying. So I, I lose debit cards quite a lot. And my, one of my really good friends, Laura, loses debit cards once uh, quite a lot as well. Uh, we once were traveling together. We both have Monzo cards. Mm, three yeah. of us were traveling together been using our monzo no problem whatsoever and then we we're like paying for stuff where we never want to be putting their card in and then um i got one day my monzo pin just wasn't accepted and i was like oh my god i'm on holiday my my monzo pin isn't working so i like rang up the dude like from monzo i like, went on the help and i was like my monzo pin isn't working like it's really really strange and he was like try setting this thing in the meantime my friend laura was like charlotte my monzo pin isn't working either it's like, a monzo oh issue clearly what the fuck monzo like god what if we were stuck and we didn't have any money so then I get on the I get back on the thing to Monzo again and I'm like it's really weird like my friend is also having the same issue and he was like being so nice and he was like god that is really weird that both of you are experiencing that problem oh my god trying to help me he was getting me to reset all this and I was talking to his manager was doing some sort of special discompensation so I could get some money blah 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 anyway like a kind of like a day later um we were kind of <laughs> we were kind of like reminiscing on it I was like it's really funny how both of our pins weren't working and then we realized we'd swapped Monzo cards about the week before <laughs> and um yeah and had been moaning to Monzo the whole time and being like it's so strange but it was just because we were dickheads and we'd swap Monzos and hadn't realized it so yeah be careful with your Monzo guys they look exactly the same and you might be being a bit of a Karen on the phone to the nice man from Monzo and um, when really it's just your own fault for being silly so that's the moral to be fair that could have happened with anyone because like all debit cards from the same bank look the same I don't want to, I guess, I guess if we're doing a PSA, I just want to make sure we're not only saying this to Monzo customers, but also like you could be with Santander or Barclays. 
Because if, if there's one reason that people come to the podcast, it is for sound financial advice. Yeah. And, um, and so if you do you have any biological any, medical support? Yeah, of course. Not forgetting our biology stuff. If you do have any financial woes or concerns, please do write into the PO box. You will know the address and um, no financial concern too small. Mm. Uh, we'll take on uh, mortgages, uh, other types of maths. Stocks, that stocks and bonds. Stocks. We're here for you. Bonds. Definitely. You get from your grandma and you're not sure if they're still in date. Can you put them in a bank still? Who knows? Mm-hmm. But we'll, we'll, we'll get on the case. My guest today is the winner of the Canadian Award for Best Breakout Artist in 2019 and a finalist from Sirius, Sirius XM's Top Comic Competition. He tours regularly with Yuck Yucks and has an album out called Unmedicated, The New Fragrance. Welcome to the show, Kyle Brownbrig! Hey, thank you for having me. <laughs> so exciting. So you've been doing comedy for about nine years, am I correct there? I have been doing comedy for eight years. Eight I don't know if I want to count this year because no one's been doing comedy. So I'm like, maybe seven, but um, yeah, technically eight years as of a month ago, actually. Congratulations. Happy birthday. <laughs> it is my comedy birthday. Yeah. <laughs> little, yeah, little, yeah. Have a cake. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and you moved from Ottawa to Toronto in 2017. Again, like, so I did my first year of university in Ottawa. And I imagine that you moved away oh. because like you learned how to love yourself and you no longer want yes. to subject yourself to Ottawa anymore. Did you go to Ottawa U or did you go to... Um, yeah, pff, yeah, I went to Ottawa U. I went to yeah, Ottawa okay. U. Come on. That's so, I sunk yeah, down well, low, but I didn't sink that low. <laughs> what were you taking at Ottawa U? Uh, so you might realize that I'm a basic white bitch. Um, I'm wearing my Lululemon. So I took commerce because that's what oh. we do. Is that basic? I don't know. No, more, normally basic white girls take psych. Fair. Okay. So I'm like a really smart, rich, basic white girl. Love it. Okay. Love it. Um, well, that's great. I'm so glad that you did learn to love yourself and get the hell out of there because so Ottawa cool. is like great for educational purposes. And like, if you want to get a family and have a very quiet life, you know, raise 2.5 kids, you know, you go to Ottawa and you have, it's a very quiet, but like, Oh my God, it's so boring. Yes. I'm out of there. <laughs> I listened to your podcast, best actress, which I found very educational because I know nothing about movies. So that was I don't know great. anything either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I was so relieved to hear that you hate Moulin Rouge because I also hate Moulin Rouge. But, uh, but again, like, because of who I am, like, like a small white girl, like every, all of my girlfriends were like, this is the greatest movie ever. And I'm like, are you sure? It is one of those movies that is just a chore. It is so annoying because everything is a mashup of various songs from different decades. And listen, like Nicole Kidman is like all the acting is very good, but it's yeah. this campy, musical, cheesy, 20 minutes too long. I don't know where it's going. Weird musical movie that is so <laughs> over the top. And I personally, I'm down for like a sad fucking 
I just watched the movie Doubt an hour ago. That's literally about Meryl Streep coming for Philip Seymour Hoffman being like, I think you molested a child. Oh, wow. I like a dark drama. I love like an intense drama. Moulin Rouge is like the most annoying ADD type of film that every theater student was obsessed with when I was in high school. It is the <laughs> antithesis to my existence. I hate that movie. Hate it. Yeah. I completely understand what you're saying. I think I think you I think you summarized it best in um, in the podcast when you were like, if you took out the music, the plot is like 20 minutes long. But if anybody is wondering what my podcast is, it's it's just a podcast where we just talk about who we thought should have won that year. And spoiler alert, I didn't want Nicole Kidman to win that year. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you've got this album out, Unmedicated. I, so I am, sorry, the full title is Unmedicated, The New Fragrance. I love the album art of like fragrancy. Um, But I was not aware that like comedians put out albums. Right. So is this only a Canadian thing? Is this for people who like don't have Netflix specials? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Actually, I think short answer, yes, because we're like, I have content and we have to like self-produce it. Short answer, like kind of, but no, actually most albums uh, actually are from a special. So like in the States, whenever um, Mm. Kathy Griffin, for example, she won, she was the third female to win best comedy album for a special called Calm Down Girl. But she took the special, like the TV special, and then put it into an audio format and then won best comedy album at the Grammys. Every single... um, comedian has a comedy album but the reason why you may not have been aware of that is because who the fuck is buying comedy albums like it's (laughs) unless you're like a huge comedy fan you're not gonna buy a comedy album i think that back in the day um i think like from our parents generation they probably had steve martin's record or his second record, they were two comedy albums. That was a very famous thing, but that was like very unheard of. And and mm. for us, the reason why we have albums is so that it gets played on the XM, Sirius XM radio, mm. and then we get royalties off of it. It's the first six years of my work. And um, it's not supposed to be the greatest album that you've ever heard because the point of it is it's supposed to capture my perspective as a brand new comic. And that's never going to be like your first sketchbook as a visual artist is never going to be your best work. You know what I'm saying? So it's a great album, but it's my first album. So, you know, be kind. (laughs) So you've been practicing your comedy. Everyone has super shit shows that happen. So do you have one? Do you have a couple? You know, start with one and then see how we go. You know, to be honest with you, I have a couple that are just absolute nightmares. But in general, I think that most people, when they go to a comedy show, they're smart enough to realize that, like, it's a really difficult thing to get up there and put yourself on the line. And it's it's so vulnerable. And mm-hmm. frankly, when you're bombing... It's not just you dying inside. It's also the audience. They're so uncomfortable. It's like, it's not fun for anybody. So when somebody is like going to just come for you, it's usually a bachelorette party. And by usually, I mean, 95% of the time, they're the worst. And um, 
I did, I did an interview, I did an interview recently where they said, um, what is something that you would love to see change in comedy? Mm -hmm. And I said, harsher punishment for bachelorette parties that hijack your headline show and essentially ruin it and ruin it for everybody else. And like, what do you mean harsher punishment? I'm like, I feel like if you're going to ruin my career, I should be able to come to your wedding and ruin your wedding. Cause it's, <laughs> it, it means the same to me. So, um, I've in general, I would say that like most shows have been fine. I haven't really had like a lot of nightmare shows, but when you do have a nightmare show, it stays with you for the rest of your life. It is just borderline traumatic, actually. So yes, I've had, I've had, two, I've had two or three that that come to mind that are pretty brutal. Excellent. <laughs> Let's dive in. Okay, one of the shows that really stays with me was. This wasn't really my fault. But it's um, never your fault. It's never your fault. No, I mean, sort of like I was booked for this comedy festival, but I had also had a separate booking at a comedy club. And they, their times were very close together, but we had arranged it with the transportation from the festival that I would be able to do both. Mm. And it didn't really work out that way. I ended up being kind of late. So we had to rush through my set at the comedy festival. Good. Where this part gets weird was that this was a theater. There were like 400 people there and um, there was a lot of Canadian celebrities. They were honoring Mary Walsh. She's from This Hour Has 22 Minutes. She does a lot of work with CBC. Um, the entire cast from 22 Minutes was there. Um, Air Farce. There were people from basically like all Canadian, like big Canadian comedy industry people were at this event. I was supposed to go up and kind of represent the like up and coming talent and I was supposed to do about 15 minutes but then they had to reduce my time down to five minutes because I had to get to the comedy club which sucks but it happens when I went to go up on stage my mic completely cut out in front of 400 people and I just stood there and I had to start yelling into the audience <laughs> no one could really hear me and then the sound tech came up on stage and by the way standing in front of 400 people and no one can hear you it is so like I'm getting the ass crack sweat and like it's you're all adrenaline <laughs> and you're like oh my god and then um my sound tech came on and then he puts the microphone and he 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 plays with it and he fixes it and then into the microphone he's like you turned it off. I'm like, thank you. Thank you for that. That's really great. You needed to say that into the microphone. Thank you. And then I start telling one joke and then the microphone goes out again. I only have like two minutes left at this point. I don't know what to do. So I start fan kicking, not unlike Moulin Rouge, um, just doing the can-can. I don't know why the fuck. I was like, I'm gay. Like, I don't know what the fuck I was thinking. And then... Um, uh, the microphone came back on. I had 30 seconds left. I told one joke. It completely bombed. And then I had to say, thank you so much. And then whenever I had to get out of the theater, there was no side exit. I actually had to go through <laughs> like, the audience, essentially, like off to the side. And everybody was like looking at me and I was like trying not to make eye contact. It was so humiliating. And I... Uh, that 
when I think about that moment, I think about that moment a lot. Although I will say that like a couple years later, I performed in front of Mary and a couple of the 22 minutes people again. And I absolutely destroyed. So I like redeemed myself. Nice. Nice. Um, but it was, it was, it was pretty bad. It was really embarrassing. And I, it was one of the worst shows that I've like ever done. I mean, I didn't even get to perform. Like it was just me looking like an asshole in front of 400 people for like four and a half minutes. It was <laughs> so humiliating. And, and the other show that I had that was really, really bad. It was a mother's day show on a Sunday, which why would you do a comedy show on a Sunday on Mother's Day? I was going to say that already sounds like a really rough crowd. To, not that mums are rough, but like that. Yeah. I'm thinking like on Mother's Day, I'm not thinking like, oh, my mom would really love to sit next to me and laugh at comics. <laughs> That's not yeah. what it's about. So the people that are going to the show are the people that like hate their mothers. So they already have like a chip on their shoulders and they're bitter that day. So you're literally like, okay. So, um, I got to the show, I was headlining. So I got through about 45 minutes and there were, there were 13, 14 people in the entire audience. And yeah, two of those people were, um, two of those people were my aunt's that have never seen me perform before. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, of course you came to this show. And cause your family's like, oh, you still do the comedy? You're like, okay. And <laughs> I went up on stage and I went to go and do my headline. And uh, the show was awkward. There weren't really a lot of people there. I wouldn't say I was bombing, but I would just say like, there's 14 people and you have to do 45 minutes. So I was doing fine, I guess. So, you, you know, when you're, it's very awkward like that, like you have to talk to the audience and just make it less awkward. And also they're sitting nowhere near each other. So there's no way you can build like energy. Mm. And, it, and, it was just, and I imagine like, they're also like not sitting anywhere close to the stage. Like they're all like yeah. far back into the side. Yeah, they looked like comedy refugees. Like they literally were just all on their own little island and they just wanted nothing to do with me and they all wanted to leave. And it was just so uncomfortable. But that's, that's part of the job. Like you have to do it anyway. And I was going around the room and I finally got to, by the way, this show at this point had been going on now for about 40 minutes. So I only had five minutes left. And I, I said a little joke, ha ha. And then I go over to this table and it was two men and um, I said to the guy, um, oh, um, are you guys friends or are you guys lovers? Like I said, <laughs> like that. and I don't know what the fuck this guy's problem was because I literally spent the first 40 minutes of my set talking about my boyfriend and talking about like growing up as a gay person and blah, blah, blah. He fucking lost it on me. He was like, how dare you ask me such a question? He's like, you are a terrible comedian. You should never move to Toronto. This is you need to rethink your career path. You have made horrible choices. Like he was fucking coming for blood. And this was again in front of my aunts that have never seen me do comedy before. And when you're in those kind of situations, it's not about you. It's not, it's not about me. Yeah. 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 He, he is something in him, something that I said triggered something in him that made him very upset. And, um, you know, you really just want to be like, who loved you? Like, what's going on? Like, are you okay? Like, let's, let's sit down, put your feet up. Like, let's talk this out. You're here <laughs> on mother's cool. day. Like, 
what is the and, problem? And so it's one of those things where it's like, you know, I have a backlog of like a hundred things that I could say to him to, um, kind of shame him or make him uncomfortable because he's, he's insulting me and coming for me. And, and mm. but the thing is, is like, when you see someone that angry, like when you're asking them a harmless question and then they just go to like a 12, you're literally like, okay, like, this is not about me. So I think I said, I, you got to handle it because mm. everyone's uncomfortable. So I think I said something, I was like, oh, okay, well, you are not a very nice person. And then like people were kind of just laughing because it's weird. And I just kind of said something like, man, I got to be honest with you. Like we were literally like at the finish line. There's 40 minutes left. We are literally running through a minefield right now. We have dodged every fucking mind that is in this field and then you just fucking blew out all of our fucking limbs and we are stranded in this field because of you detonating a fucking bomb and I have to do even more time when we all want to leave right now (laughs) and that was getting laughs and people were enjoying that because you're acknowledging it and then he kept thinking that he was more clever than me. And it's like, bitch, I literally get paid to think on my feet in moments like this. It's like, don't come for me, bitch. And he tried to, and I put him in his place. And um, then I think he realized like how much of a dick he was being. Someone said something to him. And then the second that the show was done, like he just left and like, that was it. But God, it was so awkward and it was so painful. There was no one there and it was in front of my family. And then my aunts at the end were like, that was great. I'm like, fuck off, Lynn. Like, I was like, get out of here. Shut up, Linda. We all know that's not true. Yeah. I was like, we don't need to do that. That's okay. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for allowing me the opportunity to relive that experience. That's great. <laughs> well, you're welcome. I'm here to help you. I hope you dredge up old memories. <laughs> I also love the number of the number of comics I talk to where like they've had like a bad show, and then for some reason, always when a show's been weird or bad, the exit is through the audience. That's right. It's because usually the stage is like there's like a path to the stage and the stage is just like a raised platform. It's not actually like a stage stage. And so you, when you, when you're bombing, it's just, yeah, you got to walk through it's, yeah, it's not, it's not conducive to people's um, feelings and their insecurities. It's very bad. No, it's awful. It's awful. (laughs) And have your parent, like, has your family seen your comedy since and been like, Oh, actually you are fucking hilarious. Or was that like, cool. He does this job as a comedian. (laughs) Who knows? Um, yeah, my family has come to my shows. I have a lot of um, material. Uh, I have I have an album out. I have I have things on TV. Uh, I have things like on Comedy Network. I have things on CTV. I have things on CBC. I I've done like a bunch of like JFL tapings. Mm family, like more like my aunts and uncles and and, and stuff like that. I think that they look at me doing comedy, like this cute little thing that I want to try out. You know, I remember, I think it was Thanksgiving, like a year or two ago, one of my uncles just straight up came up to me and he was like, so you like do this like 
full time. And I was like, yeah. And he said, so you like pay your bills and everything. And I was like, that is an extremely rude question, but yes, I do. And then he's like, wow, like, wow. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. Fucking uncle. I'm not going to say his name, but like, fuck off. It's literally like not everything in this world has to be this heteronormative standard where you take biology in high school and then you take a science program and then you work in the medical industry or you work for the government, have 2.5 kids, and then you have a middle, a fucking midlife crisis, cheat on your wife, get back together, go to group therapy, and then fucking become a senior citizen, travel the world and fucking die. It's like every, not everybody has to have that life. Okay. So your family like only sort of believes in you. That's fine. I believe in you. That's all that matters. (laughs) My immediate family is obsessed. Like my parents are obsessed with my comedy career. Uh, but my, uh, immediate family, no, they don't really come to my shows or some of them have like over the years and stuff like that, but no, they don't like watch my stuff on TV. But if I'm being completely honest with you, it's not like I have any interest in their careers. So it's like, you know what? Fair. <laughs> like I don't really care about what you do either. So I don't okay. care about your orthodontic practice. Okay. Yeah. Like Betty, it's not my interest. That's right. I really, it's like fair. Like it's a two way street. Like it's all good. Like I don't really <laughs> care what you do either. So it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> Whose fault is it anyway? So, okay, shall we get into the blame game? This is my favorite part of the show. I love to play the blame game. <laughs> You're, so the first show where, like, basically everything except you didn't work. I, I mean, it's obvious to blame, like, the mic, but I just, I feel like it's bigger than that, you know? Like, I feel like there's a bigger problem than that out there. Frankly, I am just going to full on blame This Hour Has 22 Minutes, which is a TV <gasps> show on BBC, because they were clearly sabotaging me. They heard that I was coming up the ranks in Canadian comedy, and they're like, we need to take this bitch out. And uh, they ordered a hit on my mic, and uh, I'm just gonna say it. I think it was Mary Walsh in the wings, not on like the Phantom of the Opera. Um, and I'm pretty sure I heard like a menacing organ playing in the background, like while I was bombing. So that makes a lot of sense. And, um, the last time I saw her, she was wearing a mask over half of her face. So I'm going to blame Mary Walsh for this one. (laughs) Was she, when you, when you did your show again for this hour, I was 22 minutes. Was she in the audience then? She was in the audience at an organ wearing a cape. Okay. Now, so, okay. So now things are falling into place, right? Like, like it didn't make sense as two disparate events, but now that you're thinking it through, it's like, I'm realizing we're going to starting to like, mm. yeah. it's kind of the final piece of the puzzle here. Like I literally, I'm like, Oh, uh, Oprah calls it the aha moment. Like the little light bulb above my head. Okay. This is- yeah. <laughs> so I'm fully going to blame Mary Walsh for this unfortunate bombing event Mm. uh mary of phantom of the opera (laughs) mary phantom of the opera walsh um as she's as she's locally known it's her it's her stage (laughs) just like haunting the catacombs of comedy clubs (laughs) theaters i think also because because it was like honoring her she was like i I don't want anyone new to like upstage me and this Kyle guy is like pretty good. So 
You sabotage me. That's exactly what it was. It's going to be a problem. And then, and then the next show, it was okay because it wasn't honoring her. So she's like, there's no comparison. Like, that's right. <laughs> so it's fine. But now I'll get her back. I'll get her back. I'm coming to I, the premiere. I believe. <laughs> Better sleep with one eye open. I have like a pirate hook in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you feel, are you feeling better about that performance already? Now that instant you know that like literally there's nothing you can do about it. Yes. Like instant relief. Absolutely. Wonderful. And she also, I think now that, now that I'm thinking through it, she probably like got in touch with the club and sort of like organized, orchestrated the logistics. So you only had five minutes instead of the 15 and that you had to like run off right, right after. Like, I think she really, she really went all out. She did a good job. She did. She really, really did. <laughs> and your second show. Uh, the second show. Who are we going to blame for the second show? Well, I'm just going to blame that guy. But, but technically he was like Hector Projector in that moment. So I'm going to assume it was his mother that he was not visiting that day. He mm-hmm. had a chip on his shoulder. So let's call her Pearl. Love it. I was going to go Gertrude, but Pearl's okay. Oh, no, it's always Pearl. It's always Pearl. (laughs) And um, she clearly did something to him. Maybe she didn't buy him, you know, that Transformers toy that he wanted for Christmas. Maybe she neglected his uh, interests in sewing. Clearly he is gay. So, <laughs> or maybe she's homophobic. I don't Let's know. Be real. Her name is Pearl. <laughs> Let's be real. He's. Gay. I feel like her name is. She Pearl. bought him. She bought him a Barbie doll one year. Yeah. She didn't buy him the Barbie doll. She did buy him. Pearl did buy yeah. him the Transformers doll, and he was like, "I just want like a do your makeup, Susan." What the fuck? Well, <laughs> you know what? Maybe it was Mary Walsh again. Maybe she told him to sabotage my show. <laughs> <laughs> it's been an ongoing problem. She's like struck I, again. I, I kind of want to blame your aunts just for being there. Like they never go <laughs> oh, to God. any show. They went to that show. They stood outside out front being like, don't come to this one. He's just, it's a hobby. It's like, <laughs> it's just a thing he does. It's, it's a phase. He'll get over. Yeah, <laughs> They're like the gatekeeper for like the show. <laughs> the I remember. Announcers like, don't, don't come in. <laughs> I remember my family member. I love that you look really unsure of like, was, are they my family member? No, because it was like multiple people. It was like, I I remember it was my sister and actually my friend, Amanda. And I remember after I did my very first performance ever, I did, I did very well actually. And I was so nervous, obviously. And after I finished my set, they were like, Oh my God. Okay. I am so happy that that like went as well as it did. Cause I'm not going to lie. I was so nervous and scared for you. I was like, that's not a compliment. I was like, you don't just, say that. We, you just we could have kept that to ourselves. And I was like, okay, um, fuck you. Um, thanks. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, no, I, I was, I was so nervous. My very first set, I don't, I don't blame them. I was so nervous. I don't, I don't even remember doing it to be honest. Like that's actually, that's a true story. I was so <laughs> nervous. And I had so much adrenaline 
that I don't remember doing it at all. I like blacked out from adrenaline. Seriously. I was so scared. But people (laughs) laughed. You remember the people laughed. So it's okay. I saw a video of it. (laughs) Yeah. And I did, I did quite well. Yes. But I don't remember. And I kept doing this weird thing. I can show you with the laptop cord. Like while I was talking, I kept doing this. Like winding it around your hand? Yeah. I don't, I have, I have never done that since. I don't know what that, and I kept pulling it closer and closer. Like I was an audio tech. Like, I don't know what the hell I was doing, but you know, you're nervous. So you have like little isms and little ticks. And that was, I guess, mine. I don't know why I've never done that before, but yeah, I was terrified. Absolutely terrified. The the other thing I realized, like listening to myself on the podcast is like, I hear all of the things that I hate about myself. Like, oh, you say like all of the time, Rebecca, like all of these normal things. I'm like, oh, that voice, you need allocution lessons. Like this is not good enough. <laughs> I know. I, but you know, honestly, when you... Like we all do that. A lot of people, they can't stand watching themselves on TV or Mm. or in film. I I know a lot of actors, they can't stand it. I myself personally can't watch myself act. It's very, very uncomfortable (laughs) for me. I don't like being vulnerable. It's like, Mm. it's like one of my things. And so it's like watching that, it's like, it's very triggering for me. And when I'm watching or listening to my voice at first, I used to be like, oh my God, I sound so much gayer than I actually think I do. And then you just kind of get used to it because you're like, well, no, it's just you because it's your head voice. Like everybody else around you is used to, is used to it. It's just that when we listen to ourselves, but after a while, like I kind of got over that, but I I was exactly the same as you where I was like, oh, but now I, it doesn't bother me to watch myself do comedy. I mean, or, or like a podcast, it doesn't bother me. Yeah, it's just we like have to love ourselves. <laughs> learned. I I started down that process as I left Ottawa, and I'm still like building up. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me, Kyle. I have had a great time. I've had a good time too. Thank you. If you want to get more from Kyle, buy his album Unmedicated: The New Fragrance. The album art in and of itself is fantastic, so definitely look it up. Um, You can also listen to his podcast, Best Actress, which I personally found very educational because I know nothing about movies. Um, And a reminder, he's doing loads of comedy. He's got a load of, of sort of shows that he's already done, tapings that he's done, so check them out. I'll put all the links into the show notes. If you enjoyed the show, please give us five stars. It helps other people find the show. Have a wonderful day. Goodbye.